Hello and welcome to episode 42 of The Witcher, chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 7 from The Tower of Swallows. Normally, this would be the book's final chapter. All of the previous books had seven chapters, but this one is longer, so we're not yet done with The Tower of Swallows, not with this chapter. Still a few more to go before we make it to Lady of the Lake, the final book of the main series. Mm, I don't want that to happen. And it will probably come really fast and then the series will be over. But at least we have Season of Storms to review following Lady of the Lake. So it's not ending too fast, but I just don't want to finish this series off. I, I, I'm honestly kind of thinking of ways how I can prolong this. The only thing I can really think of is uh, skipping uploads, like going a week without uploading, which I'm already doing in between books. But I'm, I was considering the other day, I was thinking maybe I could just skip a couple of chapters, like, or, or not skip the chapters, skip a couple of weeks. I'm not going to do that. That's just, I feel like I'm just cheating. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to keep going the way that I originally planned when I started this series, which is coming up on a year ago. Yeah, it's October at the time of recording this. And I started sometime in November of last year. I can't believe that. That just does not seem real at all. But yeah, sometime in November, I forget exactly when. I don't think I know the exact date when I first recorded it. I did it on a different computer at the time, so. I don't think I still have that original video. Maybe I do, I could check. And then once we hit that year mark, I can make a point to acknowledge that in that episode, wherever we are at that point. But yeah, sometime in November, I mean, you could look at the date of the upload of the first episode, but I think I recorded the first episode a few weeks before I uploaded it, so that doesn't really help. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the episode. Uh, I'll give you the recap of the last episode and also uh, where we left off with the chapters, I'm sorry, with the characters that we're following in this chapter. So that was the same chapter. So the previous chapter, previous episode, we were following the characters that we follow in this one. So uh, I know I mentioned previously, can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before, but I wanted to um, change up the recaps to make it so that I'm recapping on the characters that we follow in this week's chapter so that you know where we left off with them and just in case the previous chapter had nothing to do with them. So uh, luckily they're both the same. Last chapter, last time we saw these characters was the same. <laughs> all right, I think I might be confusing you. So let me just dive in to this recap and then I'll give you the summary and then we'll talk about what happened. Okay. Recap, here it comes. Kahir, Geralt, and Angolem are almost captured and killed in the Bellhaven mines by the half-elf Shiru and the infamous, infamous criminal Nightingale. They manage to escape during an attack from a Free Slopes Nilfgaardian resistance party, but only after Kahir takes an axe to the head, not killing him, but badly injuring him. The trio takes off on horses until Kahir can't stay on his anymore and Geralt dies of exhaustion. Angolem carries on to find the rest of the group in Tucson while Geralt and Kahir hang back to tend to Kahir's wound. After he starts to recover, Kahir tells Geralt the story of what happened the night in Sintra when he captured Ciri and that he believes Ciri is still alive. 
The pair eventually continue on until they reach Tucson and find Regis. All right, we pick right back up where we left off. So, summary, chapter seven. After meeting his druid friend, Regis directs Geralt to a cave entrance where the druidess said the Witcher must enter unarmed with humility. No other details were provided as to what was awaiting Geralt inside the cave, but since he wouldn't receive information on Ciri unless he enters, he decides to go in. Once in the cave, various creatures start harassing and antagonizing Geralt until an elf appears and stops them and invites him to another part of the cave where he's painting a depiction of a prehistoric bison hunted by humans. The elf introduces himself as Avalok and tells Geralt he's an elven sage. Avalok takes Geralt into an ancient section of the cave that contains marble statues of elves. While in there, he shows Geralt a statue of Lara Dorim and explains that Ciri is a descendant of hers who somehow received Lara's specifically engineered genetics, although mutated. He also tells Geralt that he'll get Ciri back, only to lose her again immediately. Additionally, he has the Witcher place his hand on a piece of wall that allows Geralt to see visions of Yennefer in manacles and Milva, Dandelion, and Angolem in trouble in the nearby Druid forest. Avalok offers Geralt a fast ride to the forest on the back of a knocker, one of the creatures that was previously harassing him when he entered the cave. After arriving in the forest, there are brigands, including Nightingale and Shiru, murdering pilgrims and druids. Geralt helps some of Tucson's knights fight the criminals and then finds Milva, Dandelion, and Angolem, who are hiding out in a cottage. One of the knights recognized Dandelion and invited the group to Beauclerc Castle, since the bard was previously quite familiar with the Duchess Anna Henrietta, but Geralt, Milva, and Angolem decide they'll go later after they pursue Nightingale and Shiru, who took off. Before they head out, a marching tree grabs them. <laughs> if you haven't read the chapter, yeah, you heard that right. A marching tree grabs them and takes them to the druids, where the head druid reaches his friend, tells the tree to drop them. They arrive just before the druids burn Nightingale, Shiru, and their men in the Wicker Hag, along with Geralt's Witcher Medallion. Very eventful chapter. So we've got a lot to unpack. Let's just get right into it. Well, at the start of the chapter, we figure out that Regis was waiting for Geralt and Cahir, like how we saw him at the very end of the previous chapter. He was waiting for Geralt and Cahir so he could show Geralt the cave and pass on the Flaminica's message. And then a Flaminica, I know I didn't, I didn't mention this in the summary, but the Flaminica is uh, a female druid leader. So this is Regis's friend that they've been seeking this whole time. So the Flaminica knew the group was coming to find her and that they were seeking Ciri. She learned about it from Avalok. At this point in the chapter, it's just said that the druids learned about it from someone in the cave. So we didn't know who that could possibly be at the time, but now we know it was the elf Avalok. And this was peculiar to me. I thought that the druids had a way of knowing these things through some sort of psychic powers or psychic abilities they had on their own. So it stood out to me that she learned about them not from her own abilities or whatever it is that allows druids to see things far away, but from an elven sage. Maybe the druids do have some sort of powers, but they didn't have to use it in this particular situation because they were working with Avalok. 
I'm not sure. And although we've been aware that the company was searching for the druids to get information on Ciri's whereabouts for a long time now, it's never really been explained why or how they would have the information. It might just be one of those things that are kept vague because the author didn't find those types of details important enough to flush out. I'm not sure. It's not really important enough for me to be getting this pedantic about, but I just thought that it was a bit strange. They were looking for this druid for such a long time because that druid was supposed to be able to help them find Siri. So like, is the druid even capable of that? Like, did they need, I don't know. Well, <laughs> Regis also explains that the Flaminica isn't fond of witchers because they kill living creatures. Not the first ones we've met who don't like witchers for this reason. You know, we've met Dorgaray and Stregobor, but I still find it odd. Like, I, I find it odd that there are people that don't like witchers for that reason. I know that there, um, there's like that old propaganda that turned people against witchers, like the general public was turned against witchers but not because of them killing innocent creatures. It was, uh, there was a lot other, there were other layers to it. There was just more to it than that. And, or aside from that, it wasn't even, it didn't include that factor of them killing innocent monsters. They just made witchers seem like a lot worse than they were. But I just don't, Geralt isn't killing innocent monsters who are minding their own business. He's hired to kill monsters who are killing innocents. He's protecting people. And I know druids and Dorgare and Stregobor types have their reasons while being aware of why witchers kill, but Geralt has principles and doesn't kill intelligent, creat intelligent creatures or monsters out in the wilderness who are minding their own business. I just think that these people could stand to lighten up on their opinion of witchers a little, but you know, and I'm also, I'm pretty biased being a huge Geralt fan. So maybe, um, you know, I'm just thinking of it from this one side too much, but I, mean, I think they are in the minority. I don't think a lot of people have the same type of opinion on witchers, at least the people that dislike them don't dislike them for this reason. So. Yeah, I, I just think they should lighten up, but <laughs> it doesn't matter because they're not going to. Well, since the Flaminica isn't fond of witchers, she said if Geralt wants answers, he must enter the cave unarmed without thoughts of aggression or anger. Essentially, she wants him to agree to abandon his witcherhood so that he can get the answers that he seeks. Of course, Geralt doesn't like this, but he agrees to it since he has to. He, he's willing to do whatever it takes to get Ciri back, and if that's an obstacle he needs to overcome, then he's going to agree to it, although he clearly is not okay with it. So he enters the cave. The entrance contains lots of human bones on the floor meant to deter intruders. Shortly after entering, lots of odd creatures start antagonizing him. One is calling him names and grabs onto his leg. They're trying really hard to provoke him because they knew he was coming and they don't like witchers. They have a bit more of a valid reason to dislike witchers than like the druids do. But Geralt rather gently kicks the little one off of his leg. Like he doesn't he doesn't get rough or violent, but he just gently kicks him off of his leg because the thing's like grabbing onto him and all the creatures get upset. They all freak out and act like he hurt this innocent defenseless creature as if the thing was minding its own business, which it was not. You could probably hear in my voice that I found these things 
very obnoxious. <laughs> I don't know if I would have kept my cool as much as Geralt did. I would have been really pissed. I would have been so annoyed. Uh, but he does keep his cool, which is good because he needed to. And then this is where we first meet the knocker. And a knocker, uh, first time we hear mention of it is this chapter. It's a type of creature known for being large, strong, bearded, and loving booze. So the knocker expresses his disapproval of Geralt for kicking the little creature by punching Geralt in the face. This is a huge creature that's punching him in the face. So that must have been pretty painful. If he wasn't a witcher, if he was an ordinary man, I don't know that he would have been able to take that. Uh, he's actually about to punch him again, and that's when Avlok shows up and calls off all the creatures and then invites Geralt into the section of the cave where he was painting the bison and hunters. All right, I'm going to move on to this next section, which is the... It's gonna, I'm going to be covering the conversation with Avlok. I, I know I've never shown my notes or anything like i don't know how i would but i've never shown my notes but just to give you an idea i basically make headings that are usually um like the different scenes in each chapter and then i'll have like the notes that go through everything that happens within that scene and then i'll move on to the next scene and that'll be a new heading so this conversation with avalok you should see the amount of notes here. You'll get an understanding because we're going to talk about it for a while. You're going to be sick of hearing me say the name Avalok. But yeah, I don't think I've ever had a section of notes as long as this. But there's just a lot going on. If you've read the chapter already, then you will probably understand. It's very important and it's the longest section of the chapter, which makes sense that this would be long. But this is, this is going to take a while. So I'm <laughs> buckling. <laughs> All right. Avalok is making this painting that with the bison and the, and the hunters so that if any humans come into the cave, they'll see the artwork and think it's from primitive times and therefore they won't want to destroy it because if they were to destroy the wall the painting was on, they would gain access to this ancient elven sanctuary that's on the other side. So the elf completes the painting and introduces himself to Geralt. He's got an official name. One that I'll only butcher if I try to pronounce, and I'm only going to call him Avalok anyway, so there's no point in mentioning it. I didn't write it down. I don't even remember what it is. So he's just Avalok to us. <laughs> uh, he also tells Geralt that he's a sage or a knowing one. And we've actually met one of these people before not that long ago. It was Ida Amin. She is Francesca Findebear's friend. She's an elf like Avalok. And uh, she was the one that... or one of the two, uh, Francesca was able to bring two members to the lodge. One of them was Yennefer and the other one was this Ida Amin. And we didn't actually get to see that much of what a sage can do from Ida. She was kind of just a observer in the lodge meeting. I mean, it was her first time being there, so it makes sense. But we do get a pretty, like a good understanding of how um, that works, what it means to be a sage. I'm sure there's a lot more to what they can do than what we see in this chapter, but we do at least get some demonstration through Avalok. So Avalok confirms he can prophesy accurately, and then Geralt asks if he'd share what he knows, and Avalok gets offended. And this is so weird to me. Isn't that why Carol was sent to the cave? Like, isn't that what he went there for? Like, to get information from Avalok about Ciri? Like, why he was meant to enter unarmed with humility? That may not be what Avalok's goal was in having Geralt come there, but he knew that's why Geralt showed up there in the first place. 
So then Avalok shows his very superior attitude and his disdain for humans, and I'm sure he has his own personal reasons for despising humans, like a lot of elves do, but it was still just weird that he had Geralt come there just to be offended when Geralt wanted him to share what he knew. Like he knew that's what he was coming there for. He just he acted surprised and offended, but I don't know. I think he just really doesn't like humans, and maybe he wanted to express his uh, his he wanted to express his disdain in the form of offense, just to really make sure Geralt understood how he feels about humans. But for some reason, he decides to share with Geralt after all. I think because Geralt said a few things between Avalok taking offense and Avalok's decision to share with Geralt, but I'm not sure exactly what it was that Geralt said to make the elf change his mind, but he does. And first he takes the witcher to, hmm, <laughs> I'm gonna butcher this, Ternabi Arain. That's the elven sanctuary with the statues. I'm not gonna say that again though, because I'm very sure I just said that wrong. But he takes him there and then he begins by talking about the Ithleen prophecy. So we've heard a little bit about the prophecy here and there throughout the series, but it gets a much better explanation in this chapter. It's uh, been talked about in this very poetic way. And Avalok actually first recites the poetic um, original prophecy, but then he describes it in layman's terms. So he says, as a result of the change in the angle of the sun's rays, the margin of permafrost will shift significantly. Then the mountains will be crushed and pushed back southwards by the ice sliding from the north, and everything will be buried under snow. Hmm. Geralt doesn't believe this. I don't know whether to believe it or not. He's an elven sage. He's supposed to be able to accurately predict the future, so it makes me think we should believe it. But since Geralt understands the world he lives in better than we do and he doesn't believe it, that makes me not want to. And also because it's a terrifying thought and that would be a horrible thing to happen. He's talking about an apocalypse. So yeah, it would be pretty terrible if that did happen. That makes me not want to believe it as well. So I don't know exactly whether we should think that that's true or not, but at least it's kind of like a broader thing anyway, so I think we can kind of just dismiss it a little bit for now, maybe come back to it if it's brought up in a future chapter, but for now let's stick to uh, this our, our characters and the story that we are most familiar with here. So he adds additional context to the prophecy. He says, those who follow the swallow, the child of the elder blood, will survive, for the swallow will open the forbidden door and make possible the world's rebirth. And then he talks about how she-elves began to reproduce with human men, which led to Lara Dorn, Ciri's ancestor, becoming pregnant by Kraganen of Lot, a human sorcerer. We're familiar with that story. It's been talked about a couple of times. But this is important because Lara Dorn, we learn here, was genetically engineered to have special abilities through specifically selected genes. And her child would have been even more special had the child's father also been an elf. We didn't know about this stuff before. But since Kraganen was human, they thought that the potential was wasted until Siri, who has the genes they were aiming to get except mutated, was born. Uh, we actually uh, learned during the previous lodge meeting that Lara's descendants were meant to be selectively bred 
and that was happening um, through these mages that we're working on. Francesca was actually one of them, but it didn't work out well. It didn't work out the way they were hoping it to, and they eventually just gave up. So now we know that not only Lara's children or child and descendants were selectively bred, but Lara's ancestors were selectively bred by the elves. So there was a lot of selective breeding going on there. So Avalok goes on to explain that few know how Lara's genetic material regenerated so powerfully in Ciri, but Vilgefortz for sure knows about it, as well as Emir Var Emreis. As far as Vilgefortz goes, we've had a pretty good understanding that Vilgefortz has knowledge of Ciri's elder blood background, but now it feels more confirmed, like it's an official confirmation now in this chapter that he knows about it. it was, it's been just a little, it's been a little vague. It, we're, we were pretty certain that he had a good understanding, but we just didn't really know the whole extent. We didn't know too much. Um, but Avalok said that he probably found out about it by accident, which I think makes sense. Uh, we still don't know exactly what he wants to do with it. But you know what? We, we really, we don't know the full extent to Ciri's powers. We've just seen little bits of what she can do. We saw what her mother, Pavetta, could do. She had no control over it. So I'm thinking maybe she actually can do some pretty incredible things. Uh, she just doesn't or hasn't realized it yet. And uh, Vilgefortz certainly wants to utilize those powers somehow. I don't have any theories on how exactly, but probably not for anything good. He is an evil person. So I think Vilgefortz has some very bad intentions there. And that's scary to think about. We, we don't want him to get a hold of Siri because he's evil, but also because of what he can, not just of how he would harm her, but because of how he might use her powers to harm others. So that's a scary thought. But for Emperor Amir, I'm guessing, just guessing that Amir knows about Ciri's elder blood trait from Vilgefort since they used to work together. I can't imagine how, like he's, he's I was gonna say he's an ordinary human. He's not ordinary, but he is a human. He's not a mage. He's not some like ancient elf or anything, but I, I can't imagine how he would stumble upon that information. That's why I think he probably got the information from Vilgefortz, but it's probably neither here nor there because he knows about it. That's really all that matters. And you know what? When it was discussed at the previous lodge meeting, I wasn't too sure on that theory at the time that Emperor Amir knew about Ciri and the Elder Blood stuff, uh, but I believe now that that's what's going on since Avalok said it, and he's a knowing one. So now we know why Emperor Amir of Nilfgaard is so set on getting a hold of Ciri and marrying her. He wants his child to have extraordinary powers, which is not surprising for a man trying to conquer the entire continent. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it's all coming up. We're, we're connecting some dots here. Not all the dots, but some dots are connecting, and that's it feels pretty good to get some explanations, whereas um, I feel like we're getting more questions than answers lately. It's just, it's so wild that these people are all fixated on this girl who's just living her life, minding her business. Well, I mean, she was doing criminal things for a little bit there, but <laughs> I mean, for the most part, minding her own business and, you know, just living her life. She's, uh, as far as Siri's concerned, she's just a person that wants to just 
live her life the way she does and these people are so fixated on her and have these plans for her that is not in her best interest at all but i you know i just wish that they would elaborate more on the genetic potential she has at least it could make more sense i don't know that i would agree with it but it would make more sense if they would elaborate because i'm, I'm sure we haven't seen all of what she can do so I'm just really curious to see exactly what is making Vilgefort, Amir, and Avalok so interested in her. Well, I guess with Avalok, he's uh, trying to stop an apocalypse and wants to use her or her child to do so. But I mean, as far as Vilgefort and Amir goes, I want to know the full extent to at least what they know, because they have to know something that we have not yet learned. And I want to learn. <laughs> well, Avalok sort of suddenly transitions from the topic of her lineage and genetically gifted powers to talking about destiny. So here comes the topic of destiny again. I feel like it hasn't come up too much lately, but it is a, 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 re a reoccurring theme in this series. So he says Geralt's efforts to rescue her are now wasted because she's already experienced the evil that was going to happen. He doesn't elaborate on which evil exactly, but I'm sure he means the stuff with Boneheart. Hopefully, at least that's what he means, and not something else we just haven't learned about yet that was worse than the Boneheart stuff, because if anything was worse than what we witnessed her go through when she was like recalling the story to Visigoda, then it must be pretty terrible, because the stuff that we do currently know about was so awful. I bet that's what he was referring to. <laughs> then he says that she's taken the right road, will cope wonderfully on her own and someone else will help her now again he doesn't specify but i'm guessing he means visigoda since uh, visigoda has been helping her after she somehow escaped boneheart and then got that wound on her face but Geralt, of course doesn't care about anything avalok is saying in this regard since it's not going to stop him from trying to find siri anyway so he just tries to leave he's hearing everything and he's just like Okay, I mean, if you're not going to help me, if you're not going to tell me where she is or how I can get to her, like, I got to go. I got, I, I'm, I'm wasting time being, you're talking to you about this and you're not doing anything good for me. So yeah, he just tries to bounce. And then Avlock decides to share with Geralt what will happen. This is where he tells Geralt that he'll get Siri back only to lose her again and for good. <sighs> I hate, re God, I hated reading that. So Avalok can clearly see the future and see things that happen far away. So I think we have to believe this, but I really don't want this to be true. Maybe what's destined to occur can change. Who knows, but this information sucks. And then to add on to the sucky information, he says that before Geralt loses Siri, he's also going to lose his company. And one of them he's going to lose really soon. I don't even know what to think. <laughs> By the end of this chapter, Geralt has not lost anyone in his company, but I think now we should just anticipate that happening maybe the next chapter, really soon at least, um, or the next chapter that we're with the group, if it does happen as soon as Avalok made it seem like it would happen. But... I don't know. Avalok really wants Geralt to understand things a certain way, so maybe he's just trolling him <laughs> to get him to listen. That's probably just wishful thinking on my part because I don't want the group to split up. I don't want Geralt to get reunited with Ciri just to lose her again forever. That's horrible. 
I want them to be reunited. But the next part of that, losing her forever, we could do without that. Well, following the delivery of this information, Avalok shows Geralt the piece of wall that he touches and allows him to see visions. So when he places his hand on the wall, he sees visions of things like a severed hand on a table, the wild hunt. They don't say it's the wild hunt, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, his friends in trouble nearby, and then Yennefer in manacles. Since the vision of his friends in trouble turned out to be completely accurate, I'm inclined to believe Yennefer may actually be imprisoned somewhere. Last we heard, Yennefer ended up in Skellige after teleporting from the lodge meeting, and then Triss found out from a fisherwoman that Yennefer got herself killed from her own spells. So I didn't think that Yennefer actually died. I know I talked about that a decent amount. So I do now think something very bad happened to her. Also, remember that Geralt believed she was working with Vilgeforts to find Ciri and then used her past closeness with Geralt to magically detect him. Plus, she believed that Vilgeforts had Ciri, so she maybe found Vilgeforts. She was going to be looking for him and maybe he imprisoned her. And that's why Geralt saw her in shackles. We've seen how powerful Vilgefortz is, so I really wouldn't be shocked if he was able to overpower Yennefer. <sighs> I hope not, but Yennefer is very powerful herself. I know that she is really talented, but I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if there's no other mage out there more talented than Vilgefortz. I think he might be the top dog. And he was very respected among the sorcery community because of how good he was before the you know, whole coup and uh, <laughs> traitor thing. But yeah, I think he maybe has Yennefer. Um, but we haven't seen her up close in a long time. So I can only really speculate for now, but I'm predicting she's in trouble. Oh, just, I just want to know. You know what I mean? Like it's just been way too long. And it's interesting because we're actually so far, like we're more than halfway done this book and there's only one more book in the main series after this. And it really made me realize Yennefer's not in the story that much. <laughs> I didn't even realize that the first time I read these books through, she is actually, I mean, she's a very important character and she comes up a lot, but you don't get to actually see her in scenes that often. And I guess that makes a lot of room to have these um, moments in the chapters where we think that this happened to her or this other bad thing happened or she's being deceitful and then we're just left to kind of wonder until we finally get answers but yeah, I never actually really realized that the first time I was reading through because you, know, you think about her a lot you're made to think about her a lot that it wasn't until reading it through um, this time for my podcast uh, that I realized that she, um, yeah, she's not actually <laughs> included in these chapters too often. But anyway, so for going back to the visions for the severed hand that Geralt saw, I have no idea what that could be about. I don't know whose hand that could be, where that was located. Uh, doesn't sound too good. Hopefully it's a bad guy, but it, it might be somebody that we like and care about. I don't know. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But one of the things he saw, his friends in trouble, proved to be true and was quite helpful since without being able to see that, he probably wouldn't have rescued them. But I gotta say, I was left feeling very unsatisfied because Avalok 
shows the piece of wall that Geralt needed to touch to have the vision. So when Geralt asks, you can't show me Siri, I imagine. And then Avalok says, who says I can't? So at this part of the chapter, I'm expecting Geralt is going to be able to see Siri, and then he doesn't. I'm not totally sure that Geralt seeing her would do any good at the moment, but I still... Uh, it would have been a cool thing to happen. Uh, he's been looking for her all this time, and just to get a little vision of her would have been kind of nice, but it didn't happen, so I guess that's just that. Well... Once Geralt sees his friends in trouble, he tries to rush out and Avalok offers Geralt the ride to the Druid Grove on the back of the knocker. This is a pretty whimsical scene that I never would have imagined happening in this book series, uh, but it was pretty entertaining. There's a, a handful of whimsical scenes in this chapter. It's just so much that goes on. This is a really big chapter, probably one of the most important ones of the whole book. But anyway, Geralt arrives nearby the grove, and after seeing bodies of innocent pilgrims, he assists one of Chusan's errant knights in fighting the brigands. So he and the knight continue on together until they reach cottages, one of which contains Milva, Angolem, and Dandelion. And outside of the cottage is more gang members. That includes Nightingale and Shiru. So we know for sure that they were following Angolem. They managed to catch up to her. But luckily, more errant knights show up, and they chase away the gang, and then Geralt reunites with the rest of the group. So Dandelion, he takes off to the castle after being invited by one of the knights. So when Geralt continues on, he's just with Angolan and Milva. But before that happens, <laughs> we learn why Dandelion was so afraid of going to Tucson. He said that it meant death for him to go there. Well, in the past, he had an affair with the Duchess and then was caught by her husband who wanted to have Dandelion killed for what he did. And luckily for Dandelion, the Duke, the Duchess's husband, passed away since Dandelion's last visit. And then one of the knights, this guy, uh, Baron de Peyrac Peyron, said the Duchess will be happy to have Dandelion join her in Beauclair Castle along with the rest of the company. So we might actually get to see the group in a castle next time we pick up with them, uh, which would be a huge step up from the way they've been living for the past, what has it been, like a couple months at this point. But before the group heads to the castle, they try to catch up with Shiru and Nightingale. But then, before they can even set out to go catch up with them, the tree that I mentioned in the summary, it walks up and it scoops them all up, squeezing all of them way too hard. Milva even gets some broken ribs. And then the Flaminica orders the tree to release them upon learning who Geralt is. So at this point, we're now in the Druid's Grove, and they captured, the Druids captured Nightingale, Shiru, and some other men, and then they placed them in the Wicker Hag and burned them. Thank goodness these were terrible people, because that was a really nasty scene. Uh, if they were good people, then it would have been way worse, but at least you don't really feel too bad for them. But gosh, what a way to die. It was pretty messed up. So the Flaminica explains that the Wicker Hag, we've heard about this a couple of times and Geralt never believed it was a real thing, but she explains that it was a false rumor, but they ended up turning the lie real as a form of punishing those who made up the rumor. I don't agree with this kind of thinking, leaning into lies people tell about you as a way to spite them for the lies, but oh well, their decision. So 
Now, unfortunately, Geralt won't be able to learn from Shiru where Vilgefortz is. And his medallion was with Shiru when he was burned, so that's gone for good now. And actually, it's Angolem who points out to Geralt that the medallion burned. And he says it's okay because he's not a witcher anymore. It's a pretty profound moment, but I mean, from my point of view, maybe for other readers as well, it uh, Geralt hasn't really done any witcher-like action in a long time. I mean, he uses his strength and skill and abilities that he has as a result of being a witcher, but he doesn't do anything. Like, he's not hunting monsters. He's not taking on witcher contracts. Hasn't happened in a long time, so I don't think we should expect to see much of a change with this update. But I suppose it is a very big deal for Geralt that him being a witcher, it's not just a profession. It's a part of his identity. So if he's kind of renouncing his witcherhood, then yeah, that's going to be yeah a big deal for him. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to dismiss it. Like, like that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like, I understand for him it's a big deal, but from for the reader's perspective, I don't think that it's going to change very much in the story. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for us. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm saying this in a way that sounds selfish. <laughs> like, I screw what Geralt thinks. No, I, I, I feel for him. I do. I understand that he would be feeling a lot because of this. So... This is how the chapter ends. Geralt met the Flaminica, met the person she sent him to meet, Avalok, and then he didn't find out where Ciri is. So that's that. <laughs> okay, closing thoughts here. Definitely a very important chapter where, although we don't learn as much as we'd probably like to, we do learn more than we have in a while. And this was a chapter just chock full of information, which is always a good thing, but yeah, uh, just didn't. There's a lot of other things I would like to learn, but it is what it is. Uh, this guy Avalok definitely piques a lot of interest. He seems pretty proud, maybe even a bit arrogant, but he does help Geralt, even though he seemed uninterested in doing so at first. It it may not really be worth it to dissect this character too much, since it doesn't seem like we'll meet him again. But you know what? You never know, and he has such a high interest in Siri that maybe we will meet him again. I'll have to wait and see how that goes. But Geralt basically gets confirmation from Avalok that Ciri's alive. Like last chapter, he seemed like he was considering the possibility. Two chapters ago, he just completely believed that Ciri was dead. But now he has more reason to believe she's not dead, as long as he's willing to believe the things that Avalok told him. So he doesn't need to continue on the revenge path anymore. Maybe later, after he finds her, there are definitely some people who deserve uh, very bad things happening to them. Boneheart, Belgefort, even more than that, but those two especially. Uh, another thing that's unique about this chapter is it seems like it should be pivotal considering how much happens and how much we learn, how much Geralt learns. And this kind of goes into what I was saying about how it's an important chapter, but I feel like we should have learned more. I don't know. It's just... I don't know how this chapter's events could affect things. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't... I just don't see what could happen as a result of the things that happen in this chapter. Well, there are um, lots of very whimsical moments that took place and even some cheesy dialogue. 
I kind of like it though. <laughs> um, but yeah, those whimsical things like with the creatures and the knocker carrying Geralt on his back and yeah, that stuff is, I, I do like that they include that. It's not a very common thing in uh, these books, but when it does come up, it's pretty cool. It makes you feel like you're in an imaginary world again, which is nice. But uh, the dialogue at some points were, it was interesting. <laughs> like there was a, there was one moment when uh, one of the, where Geralt's fighting one of the brigands and the guy's trying to kill Geralt and he messes up because he sneezes. I guess he was taking fist tech, that drug that we recently learned about. And Geralt says something like, now who will tell me that doing drugs isn't bad for your health? Like right, He says that right after he kills him, so. <laughs> All right, looking ahead. Really wanna know what's going on with Yennefer. I, I mean, it's just, I, we've been talking about this for so long and then we finally got some answers. Like when she, we found out that she was in that little statuette figurine form and then, um, yeah, now we just are wondering what's going on with her again. So I don't think that her luck is as good as it was last time. I mean, being turned into that figurine wasn't a good situation for her, but it was definitely better, way better than it could have been. And she was safe. I mean, coming out of it, like turn, being turned back into a human was not fun for her at all. But I mean, she's okay. Long run, she's okay. But maybe now she's not because something else terrible might have happened. I just want to know. I want them. I want them to give us answers way sooner than what seems like it will probably be, considering how long it's getting dragged out. The speculation we're forced to dive into because of the little bits that they keep saying about her. But oh well, that's <laughs> just how it goes. Just gotta roll with it, I suppose. And uh, we might see the group in Beauclair Castle next time, like I talked about, but I can't imagine we'll stay there for long. I really don't know what to expect as far as the company's next move goes. They've been searching for these druids for so long, and they find them in this chapter, and they didn't receive any information on Ciri's location. So what now? I don't know. Maybe Geralt talked to the Flaminica for a little bit, after, like, once the chapter cut to an end, and we just don't get to see how that went until the next time that we catch up with Geralt again. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It didn't seem like it was going that way, though, so I don't, I don't think that um, that's going to happen. I feel like they are kind of at a dead end, but I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm being a little pessimistic, so I, I always hope that I'm wrong when I'm being pessimistic about future things, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that is all I have for you. This is actually, this has been a way longer episode than I've had in a really decent amount of time. I don't remember the last time that I've been recording for as long as I have been. So if you've listened all the way up till now, I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode. <laughs>